Uh, Philippians 3 is where we're going to be tonight. We're going to end up our last session of the week. Can I just say how thankful and proud I am of y'all this week? I, y'all have exceeded expectations. Um, I've been so thankful for the things God has been doing, the conversations you've been having, um, the potential that, like Jake said, you can leave this place and there is a lot of potential. I'm not saying it's guaranteed. Um, I, again, every year there are some that say, ah, oh, they'll ready, they use the term, well, they don't use the term, I use the term, getting ready to storm hell with a water pistol, right? Like they're ready to go. They're ready to take the devil on and they get home and the path is a little rockier maybe than they were used to here. The path is a little more inclined and uphill and, and, and they end up going off the path. And so I just want you to know that my prayer and the prayer of the other chaperones that you have here this week um, is that you will stay the path. You will stay the course. That we will come down off the mountain, so to speak, because it's funny that a lot of times we go to the mountains at camp, uh, but that's cool. We call this a mountaintop experience, right? That when Moses came off the mountain with his ten command with the Ten Commandments, he was glowing, right? He was radiating God's presence, but he didn't stay on the mountain forever. And we can't always have mountaintop experiences. These mountaintop experiences are designed to recharge you, to fill you up, to give you a focal point. So in your spirit, you can go, oh man, you know, I know God is real, even though it doesn't feel like it in this moment, because I experienced him in Fountain Run, Kentucky. Yeah, of all places, right? That, that I experienced him at camp and I know he's real and even though it doesn't feel like it right now we have that to look back on the thing about a mountaintop is you can see it from far away right you ever hiked in the mountains and you can see a peak over the over the ridge and you know from a long long way away that's a mountain there's the mountaintop there it is well, there's going to be moments where you're going to feel very far from this place and very far from the feeling that you have right now, but you should be able to look back and see the mountaintop and go, I'm not going to forget what God has done. I'm not going to forget what God said to me at camp. I'm not going to forget the freedom that he gave me and the walls that he tore down and the truth that he planted in my heart like a seed that I need to be. But the thing about planting seeds, because that's what we've been doing. We have been scattering seeds. I've been, I know, this is a lot of Bible that I've been throwing at y'all this week. And the point is, I'm, I'm trying to plant as much seed as I can of scripture in your life so that it'll grow. So that these, this will encourage more. And, and, but in order, I don't know if y'all have ever done any gardening, but the thing about planting the seed is you got to water it. You got to give it sunlight. You got to weed the gardens, right? You got to get rid of the stuff that would choke it out. Uh, Jesus even has this parable about how the kingdom of God is like, a, is like a farmer who spreads seed. And some of the seed falls on the rocky ground and doesn't really take root. Some seed gets snapped up by the birds and the pests and stuff like that and it never takes root. There's some seed that starts to go but then it gets choked out by bad stuff, by weeds, by clovers, by all the other stuff that, that you don't want to grow in that area. But then there's some seed that takes root 
and grows and produces much good fruit. My prayer is that you will take those seeds that we're planting this week and that we will have a rich harvest. We will have lots of good stuff that is being grown out of the seeds that we're planting this week. And so we're talking about today how Jesus changes your path. And this is, this is key because we're about to, symbolically speaking, get back on the path. This was a wonderful pit stop for us. This was a wonderful break, kind of, from the normal everyday life. And it's meant to fuel you up and get you ready for the path ahead. And so we talked about embracing your mission this morning. I hope you understand that each and every one of you has a mission. Even Hank, who just got saved earlier, he already has mission plans. He has a briefing. He has, he has things that he's supposed to do. But I want to talk tonight about embracing your journey. Because on that path, you are going to journey. Many of you are on the very beginnings of your Christian journey. And there's many times in the Bible that, that God relates our lives and, and our relationships to him as a journey. Because in a journey, there's twists and turns and there's, there's struggles. And sometimes you move fast and sometimes you move slow. And sometimes there's hurdles but it's a, a journey. And so before we jump into our scripture, let me just encourage you with this big idea. Remember, we've been doing a big idea at the beginning of, of every sermon. And the first big idea, or the big idea for tonight, the last one is, this is only the beginning. What I want you to understand tonight as we wrap up is that this is only the beginning. Yes, it's the end of the week, it's the end of this camp, but it is very much the beginning of the next thing that God is doing in your life. And so, in order for us to understand that, I want us to read quite a, a hefty little uh, sampling of scripture in Philippians chapter 3. Um, we're going to start in verse 12. And my, what I'm going to do here tonight is we're going to carefully read through these scriptures and then I'm going to give you some tips for the journey. Right? I want to leave you with some thoughts, leave you with some kind of big picture tips and tricks, so to speak, that I think will help you on this new path that that Jesus is taking you in. But first we need to understand what this journey looks like. And so in Philippians chapter 3, starting on verse 12, he says this. Can everybody see by the way, do we need to turn on the light in the front? Can everybody see the We can see. You can see? Thumbs up if you can see. All right. I'm just old. <laughs> Stephen's like, hey. All right. Well, we can. Uh, let's turn on the lights. I want to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is that too? Is that too light? That too. Is it too lit in this piece? Yeah. Is that better? All right. We got to excuse the old people who got old people eyes. Okay, back there. We need to make sure they're getting something out of this too. Um, hmm? Oh no, it's okay. We'll be all right. We're not worried about that anyway. Our focus is on the word. Let's read Philippians three twelve. Uh, it says this. This is Paul talking. The guy who we told you about already. You've learned a little bit about the Apostle Paul. He says, "I don't mean to say." that I've already achieved these things. He was talking about, he was telling the Philippians 
what they should be shooting for, what they should be aiming for, what they should be striving for. He says, I don't mean to say I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Jesus Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Verse 15 says, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, verse 17 says, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I'll say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many who can, whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. All right, that's a lot. Slot in there. Have any of y'all ever heard any of those verses before? Maybe? Yes? No? Maybe so? Um, those verses right there give us some good tips for embracing our journey. So the, here's, here's, if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, here's the first thing you need to do. You need to admit that you need to grow. You need to admit to yourself that you have not arrived Paul, who, by the way, was the man who did some amazing things for Jesus, who was being a part of turning the world upside down in the name of Jesus, he even says, hey, I, I haven't reached perfection. I know y'all are looking to me. Every, all these churches were looking to Paul as a leader. He was the, he was the, um, he was the apostle that was supposed to strike out from just the Jewish people and be the apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles. You know what a Gentile is? That's a non-Jewish person. You're a Gentile, right? And, and he was the first one that was going to take Jesus to the world. So very easy to get a big head. And yet Paul said, I'm not perfect. In fact, uh, Jeremiah 10, 23 says this, I know Lord that our lives are not our own. We are not able to plan our own course. And so here's the key. This is how you make sure that you need to grow, that you grow. He says, so correct me, Lord, but please be gentle. <laughs> Amen. Do not correct me in anger for I would die. <laughs> I, I love Jeremiah's realization. I know I need to be corrected, but please just, just do it gently. <laughs> Because you could wipe me off this planet. I'll be a greasy spot on this floor if you got mad at me, really. That is the attitude that we need to have. If you want, y'all say you want to grow, but you don't want to be corrected. You cannot grow unless you are uncomfortable and unless you are correctable. 
unless you can humble yourself to realize that, yes, I had this awesome experience at camp. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, some of you have read your Bible and know your Bible verses and and know a lot of things about the Bible. But we have to be correctable. We have to know that God is going to be correcting us from here on out. Right? So you, you need to admit that you need to grow. By the way, you should be admitting this until the day you die. You could start right now and you could read your Bible every year all the way through for the rest of your life. You could be a pastor. You could be a part of saving millions of people. Right? You could Billy Graham this sucker. Right? You, you, be, you, can, you could really make an impact for God and you would still need to grow. I love 1 Corinthians 8.1. It's a good reminder. It says, 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this, knowledge puffs up. Jake, you may have to jump down a couple slides. There it is. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I want you to know more about scripture. I love that you can quote verses back to me and that you, may, that you could even go deeper and deeper, but knowledge just makes you cocky. I know plenty of Christians who won't learn from anybody else because they think they know it all already. And they are stunting their own growth. So you, you gain knowledge and it's just going to puff up your, you're going to have a big head trying to get it out the door, right? You're going you're to get arrogant, you're going to get cocky, but love builds up. So make sure that you are correctable and that you're loving and that, so God will build, it, build you up and then you can build others up. Another thing you need to do, write this down, is to focus on the future. You need to focus on the future. Paul said, forgetting the past. Some of y'all got a past. I understand. Some of y'all have hangups. Some of y'all have things that you've really done that you've really screwed up. You've really messed up. You've really made a mess of things. Guess what? It's in the past. You don't have to talk about it every day. You don't have to marinate and stew in it. You don't have to go through every detail of it. He says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race. All that happened back there and you're moving this way. You don't have to think about that anymore. Now, God may want to use it in your testimony. <laughs> yeah, I was an idiot. Let me tell you what I did. But Jesus came in. I, I have a friend who... Uh, was an alcoholic and who uh, came to know Jesus when he was even older than I am now, but he finally got his life right. And he wants to help people, but I've heard him give his testimony and he'll talk for 30 minutes and 28 of it is about what a terrible, no good, no good drunk he was. And then the last two minutes was, but you know, Jesus made that better. Like, like your, your pasts, just like your future should glorify God. And so I know that some of you have got some things that you're struggling with, you're coming to terms with, you're coming to, you're you're making peace with. But when you do that, focus on the future. Focus on where God is taking you. I don't want you to get stuck in a rut because God is trying to do new things in your life. God says, behold, I am doing something new. And we need to be ready for it. We need to have our eyes on that. Philippians 1.27 says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. 
when you, when you consider yourself a citizen of heaven, that means you're thinking big picture. You're thinking eternity. You're like, yeah, I'm an American, but I'm a citizen of heaven. And this is how I act now. This is what I do now. Yeah, I was, I was a bum back then. Yeah, I've done some stuff, but I'm not that way anymore. And God has brought me out of that. And so I'm going to act like a citizen of heaven. I'm going to act like I'm in the kingdom of God. So we need to make sure that we are focused on the future. We also need to work for togetherness. And it is work, let me tell you. Y'all have done a wonderful job here this week, working for togetherness, for starting conversations, encouraging other ones. You got older ones and younger ones walking around talking and, and, and the, just this, this group camaraderie has been pretty good this year. It says, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you think you're mature, if you think that you're a mature Christian, some of y'all are a little bit older, a little bit more versed in the Bible, and you think you're more mature than these noobs over here, do you want to know how you can prove that? By even if you disagree, even if they do something that aggravates you, you got to hold on to the progress that we already made. That person that just got saved is not going to act like someone who's been saved 10 years, we hope. We, for the sake of the person that's been saved for 10 years, we've got to be patient with each other. We have to, the Bible says we've got to strive with each other. We have to bear each other's burdens. You have to deal with aggravating, annoying brothers and sisters in Christ who haven't figured it out yet. Maybe they've, God has put you in their lives to help them figure that out. By the way, don't do it in a condescending, dismissive way, but come alongside these new believers if you're an experienced, older believer and take them with you. Say, hey, listen, let me, let me help you do this better. Let me tell you about when I was that way, because you were that way. I can remember when some of y'all were that way, right? And so striving with them and, and holding, I love that phrase, holding on to the progress that we've made. Y'all have made some amazing progress. But to be honest, there's stuff I see y'all, the things y'all have said this week, I'm like, oh my gosh, that come out of your mouth, really? Y'all have said some dumb stuff this week. That's okay. Let's hold on to the progress we have. You're not gonna get it all right. You're, when, when you're texting each other and, and talking with each other, you're not always gonna say the right thing. You're gonna hurt each other's feelings. You're gonna make each other mad. You're gonna be inconsiderate. That's okay. Strive with each other. Hold on to the progress that we've made. Philippians 1.30 is a good verse. It says, we're all in this together. No, high school musical. No, it says, we are in this struggle together. You have seen, Paul says, you've seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Some of y'all are still struggling with stuff. That's okay. We're all in this together. God has given us to each other to help with that. Because some of you have gone through some things that maybe you can help your friend with. But we have to work for that. That takes work. If all you do is hang out with people that don't annoy you, don't aggravate you, that, that 
do a certain thing for you, whether it's make you feel cool or, 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 or make you feel special, and you don't ever make the sacrifice to, to actually pursue friendships and love people that are a little bit harder to love, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out on the togetherness that's available to us. Here's another thing you need to do. Find some mentors. You need to find some mentors. Guess what? You've got a lot of great candidates here today. Paul says, pattern your lives after mine. Learn from those who follow our example. You don't know what to do next. You don't know how to live as a Christian in this next phase of your life. Find someone that's doing it pretty well and watch what they do. Apprentice them like we talked about earlier. Be an apprentice to someone who you want to follow in their footsteps. Eventually, you'll do your own thing. You'll be your own person. I get that. You'll develop your own personality, your own gifts, your own callings. But until then, pattern your lives after someone that you know that loves God, that's growing in their faith, and that is willing to hang out with you. 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 says something very similar. It says, you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Well, that's the same guy, Paul, that wrote Corinthians, also wrote the verses we're reading tonight. He's telling this to a lot of different people. Hey, just do what I do. Don't worry about reinventing the wheel. Imitate me because I'm imitating Jesus. And then eventually you're going to get to the point where you're just imitating Jesus. You're just following Christ and then somebody else can follow you as you follow Christ. Another good verse is Psalm 145, 4. It says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. You've got to let people know what God has done in your life. Hopefully one day, if y'all have kids, you can tell your kids of the things that God has done for you so that they can know who God is too. You've got to find mentors. By the way, it's hard to be mentored by someone your own age. It's not impossible, but I've heard a lot of people go, well, so-and-so is going to be my mentor. I'm like, well, they need a mentor. How are they going to mentor you? And y'all are about the same age, right? I'm not saying it's impossible, but most likely you need to find someone a little bit older who has been in the same life situations and come out the other side and haven't totally crashed and burned. Someone that is willing to hold you accountable. Remember, we have to be willing to take correction. That's what a mentor does. I think more of us don't have mentors because we don't like to be told what to do. We don't like it when mean old Mr. Richard comes in and tells us that we're an idiot for doing that, that we should stop sinning, that we shouldn't do doing that. We don't like, we don't like when Pastor Ben comes and says, hey, that, that's, that sermon was for you. We don't like that. Our flesh doesn't like that. Your spirit should want that, though. There are many times, I know that the phrase, I feel attacked, wasn't popular when I was a teenager, but I sure felt it. I remember when Pastor Andy came to my little old Baptist church that I grew up in, and he started preaching, and I was like, I feel, was he, does he talk to my mom before we got here? Because I feel attacked. It was uncomfortable, but then he began to mentor me over the years. I've never, never been the same since. So find some mentors. Maybe it's just one. Maybe it's a couple different ones that will 
pour into you, that will spend time with you so you can pattern your life after theirs. But you also need to, while you're finding your mentors, you also need to identify your enemies. You need to identify your enemies. Paul was all encouraging and stuff, and then he started talking like this. You can tell, by the way, he really did care about these people. He says, I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. By the way, he wasn't writing to heathens. He wasn't writing to lost people. He wasn't writing to the world. He was writing to church people. He was writing to people like us who go to church, whose family goes to church. And we're all, we're all, we all do the, the, the church thing together. And we're supposed to be representatives of Jesus. And yet he said, some of y'all are enemies of the cross of Christ because of how you act. I know plenty of Christians that say with their mouths, oh, I love Jesus. But their attitudes and the way they love or don't love and the things that they do show a very different story. They're headed for destruction. Here's a good way to, to tell what's going on behind the scenes. Their God is their appetite. I'm not just talking about they're really hungry, all right? although it could be, but their appetite for the things of the world, for food, for power, for sex, for uh, money, for all these things that the world is going to make you hungry and to desire for, that's going to be the God that they worship. By the way, that's the God you worship if you're not worshiping God. Is your God God or is God, is your God the thing you want to do? That game you want to play, that job you want to have so you can buy the things that you want to have. And they brag about shameful things and they only think about this life here on earth. Because why there's so much more going on than what we've got going on right here. The things and the decisions that you have to make, they affect your eternity. The way you treat people now, the way you obey, the way you worship, the way you serve or don't, that affects your eternity. It's not just here on this earth. So I don't want your actions to show that you're, because by the way, we're all enemies of the cross before Jesus comes and saves us. Bible says, while we were still enemies, he died for us. And until you're redeemed, until you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you accept that forgiveness, that's, that talk, that's you right there. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, I know it's a little bit longer, but 1 Timothy 3 talks about this. It says, you should know this, he's talking to Timothy. Paul is writing to his his apprentice. What? It is Second Timothy. Did I say first? Yes. Okay. Second Timothy. Second Timothy three, one through five. Again, this is the same guy Paul talking to his uh, mentee, the person he's mentoring, the, his apprentice Timothy. He says, "You should know this: that in the last days there will be very difficult times. People will only love themselves and their money." They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. You know what scoffing is? <laughs> Eye roll. 
Right? That's what it means to scoff. They'll be scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They'll be cruel and they'll hate what's good. They'll betray their friends. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious. So that means they're coming to church. But they will reject the power that could make them godly. And what does he say to do to people like that? Stay away. Stay away from people like that. I know that sounds harsh, but there are people you need to stay away from. You need to figure out who your enemy is. You know who your enemy is? Anyone that would get in, in between you and Jesus. Is that, could that be a boyfriend or girlfriend? Could that be a family member? Could that be a friend at school? Could that be a sport that you're playing or a hobby that you have? Anything that threatens the relationship between you and Jesus is your enemy. I remember when I first started getting really serious about obeying God. I grew up in the church, but I didn't get saved until I was 18. I remember I got saved and I realized that I got to start living like it. And my best friend, I realized it was my enemy. He had, we, we, we got along great. We hung out all the time. But I, I noticed that when I was with him, he always was pulling me towards doing something I shouldn't be doing. I talked different when I was around him. I did different things when I was around him. Things that my parents knew I did, I'd be in for it. And I remember that finally I found out that he was lying to me and, and our other friend had been lying to us about some stupid stuff, but it was lying to us nonetheless, trying to incur favor with us. And, and I remember finding out that he had been lying for over a year and I just went to him. I said, look, I really like you. I wanted us to have a close relationship, but we're done here. We've spoken maybe 20 words in the past 20 years now. 15 years probably since we, because I realized he's my enemy. He's not good for me. And you don't have to subject yourself to friendships or relationships or things that, will, that are tearing you away from God. By the way, your enemy might be something in your house. It might be your phone, it might be your tablet, it might be your laptop. Because that's getting in the way of you living righteously. That could be a busy schedule full of stuff that makes you feel like you're a good person. Because I'm super busy and I get all these accolades and I'm, I do this and that and the other. And, and so I must be a good person. Hey, nothing wrong with doing stuff, but if it gets in the way of you and Jesus, cut it out. Cut it off. Jesus speaks a little, you know what a hyperbole is, right? He exaggerates to make a point. Says if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? Because it's better to go into heaven like Captain Hook. He didn't say that. But he said, better to go in without a hand than to burn in hell with both hands. So if you need to quit that job, because that job won't let you have off on Sundays, so you can go to church, quit that job. If you need to stop hanging out with that friend who's always going, why are you going to church? Why are you hanging out with people? Why aren't you 
Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Why, why don't you live like me? Why are you worried about this God guy? Cut that off. Weed the garden. Right? That's, that's exactly what that is. As we plant the seeds, you got to weed the garden. You got to get the junk out of there. You got to make sure you know who your enemy is. By the way, your enemy also has a name. It's not just the people in your life. By the way, most people, even though they make themselves your enemy, you still pray for them to change. You still pray. They're still a person in need of salvation. So even if you're cutting them off, you're not going, ha <laughs> see in hell. Like you say, I'm cutting you off, but I'm also praying that God will break you, that God will redeem you, that God will make you a blessing again. And maybe we can try this again when you start acting right. But you do have an enemy. The Bible says you have an accuser and a confuser and an attacker waiting. He's, he's roaming around like a roaring lion ready to devour you. The devil. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Satan. Right? And he's not some dude with a pitchfork. Right? He comes to you as an angel of light. He comes at you in a good thing. The devil is not going to get y'all with some Satanist cult where you're sacrificing goats on the altar and stuff like that. He's going to get you with good things. And that's your enemy you need to be praying against. And the Bible says we don't battle with flesh and blood enemies. It's a spiritual thing. It's not a thing. You know, we joke about storming hell with a water pistol, but even the biggest, baddest water pistol ain't going to do any good. That's why we taught you how to pray yesterday. Because that's your best weapon. You want to defeat the big bad? You want to defeat your main enemy, Satan? You have to pray. It's a spiritual, there's a spiritual battleground going down all around us. Some of you are in, have been engaged in a spiritual battle even this week. God, God was wanting to do something with you and, you, and, and the devil's saying, you don't need to be here. He's saying, you don't need to listen to them. You don't need to be around those people. And he's trying every bit. He's, he's playing on your anxieties. He's playing on your distractions. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Come over here. Come over here. That's your enemy. And you need to be prepared to pray against him. And God has given you victory over him. He's an enemy, but he's a weak enemy. Bless you. Bless you again. There's one more thing that you need to do. One more bit of advice I have for you this week, and that's to trust God's power. You need to trust God's power. God is a powerful God, and he wants to lend that power to you. You're going, oh, no, I've got this big, bad devil I've got to defeat. No, you don't. You have to trust in his power. You have to use the power that's made available to you. It says that he's going to one day take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies. That same power is going to make everything in heaven and earth bow down to him. The same power that created the entire universe from nothing is available to you for your spiritual battles. You just got to trust in that. If, if he can do all that, don't you think he can give you battle over these things you're dealing with in your life? If he can do all the things that he's done, if he can bring Jesus back from the dead, can't he bring 
a failed relationship back? Can't he help you to love people that are hard to love? Can't he give you confidence and, and peace in the midst of anxious situations? Can't he give you a love to, of, uh, of prayer and of Bible? Some of you are like, man, I just can't read my Bible. I just don't want to read my Bible. Don't you think he has the power to make you interested in that? He can do anything. So if you're not having victory in these things, it's because you're not tapping into his power. And you need to make sure that you're using his power and not yours. And first and foremost, and Jake, I don't know if I put the scripture up there. Did I, did I put Acts 4 up there? Y'all write down Acts chapter 4. Probably didn't because I thought of this last minute. But Acts chapter 4 verse 12. You want to talk about God's power. This is the most important thing. Acts 4.12 says, only Jesus has the power to save. His name is the only one in all the world that can save anyone. If, Jesus, if, if God can give, if, if Jesus can give the power to forgive your sins and everyone's sins for all eternity, he can save you. So if you don't hear anything else this entire week, which I hope you take all of this and put it all into to action. But if you don't hear anything else tonight, please hear this. And what we're going to do in a minute, Jake's going to come on down and, and get ready to, we're, we're going to sing another song. But this is what I want you to focus on in the midst of that. That Bible in, that you are holding in your hands, it says a few things when it comes to God's power and when it comes to this idea of being saved. It says, everybody has sinned. Romans 3.23, everyone sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all stink. We're all not good enough. But it also says that even though you deserve death and hell, Jesus was the payment for that sin. We've talked about this this week, but I'm just reiterating it to you in case for one reason you've forgotten, you've been distracted. That that's who you are. You are redeemed. You are loved. And you can be saved. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you call on the name of the Lord, that means you pray to him and God in his power saves your soul. He radically changes you. It may not seem like it's any different. I joked with some of y'all, the, the earth may not shake and the lights might not blink, but a, a seismic shift happens in, in a moment when you call on the name of the Lord for the first time. When that caterpillar becomes a butterfly like we talked about the other day. Right? Where the old you gets crucified. It's dead and gone. But the new you comes running out of that grave. A new creation with access to the God of the universe and the power that saved you. And so if you've never had that moment, that's the moment you need to have. Calling on the name of the Lord just means praying. If, if you have never, you can go to church all you want. You can go to every summer camp for every year. But if there's not been a moment where you understand that you're a sinner, 
that you actually want to change that. Some of y'all have no problem admitting, eh, I'm kind of a sinner, but you don't really particularly care to change anything. But you have to repent. You have to make the decision, I'm not okay. And I want to turn and I want to go another way. And so you pray and you, you ask Jesus to forgive you. You ask Jesus to save you. The work's been done. You don't have to accomplish it. He's accomplished it for you. You just have to take the gift. And once you have that gift, there's no going back. Even though you may sin, even though you spent the last couple years being an idiot, doesn't mean that you're not saved. But if you've never had that moment where you turn things over to Jesus, where you have said, be my savior, be my Lord, then all this stuff is useless. Everything we've talked about this week will not work because you're still broken. You're still in need of salvation. And so as we sing, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to talk, to ask questions. I know that it's very easy to get emotional I know God has been moving in a lot of ways, in a lot of your, your, your hearts, and I don't, I don't want to go through and say, you're all going to hell, because I think a lot of you are saved. But I don't want you to miss an opportunity if you're not, to make the decision. Because God has given you the faith, he's done the work for you, he's done the sacrifice, Jesus lived the life we should be living, but he lived it for us, so that when God looks to us to judge us, he just sees the life of Jesus. He says, perfect. Come on in, Titan. Come on in, Caitlin. You got the blood of Jesus on you, and that's all you need. And so would you stand up with me, and, and we want to make sure that it's not awkward for you, but, you know, sometimes you got to be awkward. And what we want to do is, if you want to have a conversation about doing what Mr. Hank did just the other day and saying a prayer and turning your life over to Jesus, you've got some counselors there in the back, your chaperones that are willing to pray with you. By the way, even if you're saved and you just need some prayer, that's what they're there for too. I don't want you to make a big emotional fuss just for the sake of doing it, but I do want you to examine yourself to ask God, am I yours? Am I a caterpillar or am I a butterfly? Am I the old me or am I the new me? And whatever his answer is, you need to act on that. If God says, amen, I saved you at that summer camp, I saved you at XYZ, and, and I'm, I've never lost you, even though you've sinned, even though you've backslidden, even though you've made some mistakes, even though you don't always think about things the right way, I've never lost you out of my hand. I love that verse. That, I, I gotta tell you, that it's kind of an embarrassing story, but that song we sang um, just a few minutes ago, there's a line in it that says, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever snatch me from his hand. I remember the first time I heard that, I was driving in the car, I'm a grown man, and I'm just bawling. I'm weeping because I was in a situation where I felt like the schemes of man were getting me. The powers of hell were having victory against me. 
And I was reminded, and I got a weird look from the person at the stoplight next to me. Because I'm just, oh, thank you, Jesus. If you're saved, the devil can't snatch you out of the hand of God. But if you're not, if you're apart from him, do not leave this camp, do not leave this room tonight until you call on his name.